it doesn't matter whatever they're getting paid they just keep getting paid like they've been wrong the whole time well that's the thing you know like how so you work with these people who are in positions where you say how are you still employed by this company or this thing or this institution and not that they're always wrong or in the way of anything but you know they're, they're just they haven't been fired yet right and you look at the politicos and the people on CNN and Fox News, whatever. And after every debate, after every return, they've been wrong. <laughs> and yeah. you, you just think, how, how can people keep their jobs and not get things right? But we're in the wrong business, Thomas. We are. I know. That's, that's why I tell my students all the time, right? Set yourself up for success in the arguments that you're making so that whatever the data shows, it doesn't matter, right? Your argument <laughs> will still stand. <laughs> Or as I call it, the Donald Trump method. Yeah. And with that, welcome to thinking.fm. Yeah. We should have started with uh, with the hot new hit. Damn, Daniel. <laughs> what is that? Is I have that... no idea. I have no idea. I didn't see it until you until you had it in the show notes today. I found a millennial meme before you did. You did. It's kind of crazy. None of my students wow. are on this, or at least I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, really hot. I saw it a couple of times, like, earlier in the week and then now they've done the remix um yeah. but yeah he's wearing white vans and yeah. white shoes and that's his thing it again with the white vans man <laughs> i don't know i don't know i, I, I you, you see these things and you feel old or or out of touch right because i when i was teaching middle school i would see these things and i would have you know an eighth grader to explain okay mr harrelson this means this and this you know this is funny because white vans are are whatever um, you know, I'm, I'm just like lost in a sea of, of social media now. And I have no idea what the context of this is. <clears throat> All right. So this week, man, what a week <laughs> I, I mean, voted. It's... So there's that, right? I there's mean, that. That was fun. You were toying around with like, just screw it all and cast the vote for Trump. Did that happen? I did vote in the Republican primary I did not vote for trump you can tell um, us who you voted for you're going to keep that to yourself all right so I, I was playing the numbers game right and i didn't want cruz to win i, I mean trump was going to win it was, you know it's inevitable right <clears throat> but at the same time i kind of want to keep marco on his heels you know because the more the longer that Kasich stays in the race the more money Marco has to pay to beat Kasich because Kasich is, you know, basically taking the, some of the votes that Rubio would get. So I ended up voting for Kasich. I don't like John Kasich. Um, okay. Okay. It, it, so, it was a chess chess match. No, I understand that. I mean, I think that, I think that's good. I don't think many primaries voters put that much thought into it, but there's a little bit more thought put into it when you have an open primary. <laughs> 5,000 of my fellow South Carolinians voted right. for him. <laughs> He didn't do do very well, but uh, my buddy who was with me also voted for Kasich. We uh, th there's a park outside of this elementary school where we vote in our neighborhood here, and uh, so we, we were at the park with the kids and the wives, and you know my my parents showed up, and so then we I took my girl and he took one of his girls over to uh, to the polling place, and you know just walked over across the street. Um, but we you know we sat in the park and we had some beverages as as you do. On a Saturday afternoon, pre gaming <laughs> voting day. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, right, I'm, right. So, I'm so down yeah, for that. We, we, all right, and we talked it out, and it sounded really good. 
you know, the, the, the strategy that we had. At the okay. time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now looking back, I'm like, God, I voted for Kasich. What, what an idiot. <laughs> but I mean, hey, and what, Marker still won by 2,000 votes or something. Or I mean, came in second, which in his book is like winning. That's the, a win platinum medal or whatever for marco <laughs> he won the silver but right when he got it when he got when he came in third he was like they said this could never happen it's like you know you came in third right yeah who was that that did the uh the three two one thing was it clinton that first started that oh no 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 it was um gosh someone wrote this famous speech uh about is that me is that my house yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, and they said, "Hey, we, you know, yeah. we weren't supposed to play, so we won the bronze." That right. might have been Clinton. And then, you know, they they got better. Might have been they comeback kid, the right? The comeback kid. That might have been Clinton. I can't remember who it is now, but uh, I wasn't sure if the three two one was him, but definitely, yeah, fits yeah. the narrative. Yeah, so, our so student this listeners Saturday. can um, can chime in and and uh, send us an email and tell us. How we're wrong yes. here. <laughs> Please go Google it, then email us because that's right. a very good use of your time. Uh, so, yeah, the, uh, next Saturday or this coming Saturday in two days, we have uh, the Democratic uh, thing. Primary in South uh, Carolina. Primaries here. Yeah. So it's going to be Bernie versus Hillary. But I've got the sample ballot and I've got had a few friends who voted and they, they were posting pictures on Facebook and they're like, who are, who are all these other people? I thought it was just Bernie and Clinton. Because it's Willie Wilson, <laughs> and uh, with a name like Willie Wilson, you get to run for president. And O'Malley's still on the ticket, and there was someone else. Um, so, so I guess if you qualify to get on the ticket, like I mean, they're not going to take you off the ticket. I don't. I mean, but he clearly dropped out, and they've had time to get him off the ballot there in South Carolina. They've had plenty of time. Yeah, and, and you know they didn't take these things on the Kinkos and run all five thousand copies. You know, it, it's a. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not like they can't start over because it's an electronic machine that we vote on. You know, it's it's right. kind of your typical little thing where you press the, the check mark by the person. We're not dealing with butterfly ballots here. Um, I don't know. But yeah, we, we've got to get to the, the point. Maybe for, you know, we can do these primary things this way. But the idea that we don't have something like, you know, mandatory... Hey, you, you've turned 18 and now you can vote. Like, yeah, we need my wife was like, I don't know if I'm a registered Republican or Democrat. I can't remember what I've what I registered for. And I'm like, well, you can look that up online. But, um, you know, and she was like, I, I think I'm registered, right? And I was like, yes, you're, you know, of course you are. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a frustrating thing. Yeah. I mean, I've yeah. said it, I've said it, I keep saying it. We need mandatory voter registration. We need, um, voting days to be holidays. Right. We need free public transit on voting days. Um, we need to do everything we can to get or we can just uh, get rid of polling places and, um, you know, send people, send everybody an absentee ballot, you know, a, a paper ballot to, you know, prepaid envelope in the mail, you know, drop. Yeah, but we see how many how many uh, of those get lost every year or oops, we found this stash of, you know, 13,000 absentee ballots in the Iowa caucus and Rick Santorum is actually the winner. Um, so <clears throat> that's, uh, yeah. that's a whole nother show, I guess. We're going to figure it out. All right. Before we, before we move on to, um, some other topics we want to hit, uh, we get, we have some, uh, some stuff from the last show that we need to kind of wrap up and take care of. And that is that we're going to do a little giveaway. 
Oh, that's right. right. Yeah, for yeah. some for for some of the sweet uh, this is ground swag that I got in the mail. Um, we're not going to tell you what you're going to get, and 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 we need to figure out. So um, we've been thinking about this, but we haven't necessarily settled on anything. So we'll do it right here, live on the show. Um, what we're going to do uh, for the giveaway? We're we're not going to do any of these things like you have to retweet us and you know. You know, post on Facebook and make your all your follower, all your friends follow us. I mean, that's we know how those marketing schemes work. Um, we are rather adept in those, but that's not what we're going to do for this. Uh, we aren't going to talk about it anywhere but on this show. Uh, so we want the hardcore loyal listeners uh, to contribute. So, and one of you know, an idea that I had was maybe whoever writes like the best poem or song. <laughs> about the show right or makes the best video about the show and uh and sends it in emails it to sam at thinking.fm um maybe we'd go with that right completely uh subjective criteria we'll make sure that we have a few adult beverages before we view the submissions so it will be completely unfair i'm sure a poem poem you like a poem is that what you were going for there? Well, that's an option. A song is an option. Some kind of video, right? If you can, if you can best damn Daniel and get a song to stick in our head for a couple hours, I mean, that might do it, right? We could just, we could just do what I try to do with my students, which often falls flat, but give them some creative license, right? What, what's the kind of best homage to thinking religion? Hmm. What do you think? Like a, like a painting. Could be a painting. Uh, Could be a painting. A, a, a selfie of yourself. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's interesting. So, you know, what is what does this show make you think of? Is that what you're saying? Could be that. Could be that. Or you could write a song about us, about Sam and Thomas. <laughs> we'll use it as our theme song. How's that? <laughs> we could do that. We could do that. Yeah, whoever wins, if you wanted, we definitely. Um, I'll give you a shout out on the show. If you write a poem, we'll, um, we will read it creatively on the show. Uh, if you write a song, we'll, uh, we'll play that on the show. Um, All right. So what, so what do they win? What do you think? All right. So we're going to give a, a, I'm going to throw a couple things, a couple pieces of this is ground swag in the box. We might throw some other uh, completely um, random things in there, right? From your stash or my stash. Um, and we'll throw it in there, right? There'll be some, it won't be the, the products I liked the most, right? We'll be honest <laughs> about that, but I'm not going to, it's not going to all be crappy products. There are some really good products that I'm going to, I'm going to throw in. It's not going to be a hundred dollars worth or anything like that, but, um, be some nice so little you, products. So you're not going to win like an Apple watch or, uh, this um, is ground I do not tablet. have uh, an Apple watch to give away. Uh, I do not have a, this is ground mod tablet, uh, case to give away um but well, if more people went to if more people went to patreon.com slash thinking fm and and donated we we might be able to afford that on the uh, on the company credit card but yes yeah, so now's your chance right so if you want better giveaways from us <laughs> give us your money support um, our bandwidth yeah yes. exactly so what do you think what do you think leave it open to the um to the creativity of our listeners yeah, I think so. I mean, because some, you know, some I know some of our listeners are painters. Some of our listeners are poets. Uh, some of our well, listeners, like me, have no creativity. If you can compose something in another language, 
We yes. will, you know, Eisenbrons every year. I won third place one year. Eisenbrons does like a Valentine uh, poem or song contest, and you have to do it in an ancient language. And I won third place for a Syriac poem that I wrote. Basically, I did a Syriac version of Bruno Mars's Locked Out of Heaven and it won third place. Yeah, <laughs> in Syriac. Do you have a link to this? Uh, I'll have to find it. I'll have to find it. You, I got to put this in the show notes. All right, you won third <laughs> place. <laughs> I know I am I am I'm a regular Renaissance Syriac. man writing Syriac um Valentine's Day songs. Wow Thomas. Yeah, I won like a $75 gift card to Eisenbrons. It was great. Oh really? Well that's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Trinity appreciated it. <laughs> yeah, oh she never knew. Never knew. She <laughs> would, I mean, like honey, you I wrote you a poem, but it's in Syriac. It's it's gonna sound like I'm having a seizure, but don't yeah, worry. Yeah. It's <laughs> gonna sound like the Lord's Prayer. It's a beautiful language. Yeah, <laughs> Syriac and Aramaic might be the worst. It's like Klingon, right? I don't like know, man. I tell you what, I um, I really like. I mean, joking about the Lord's Prayer, I really like the Lord's Prayer in Syriac. It's a uh, you know pretty yeah, easy to good. remember. You know, Abun de Bashmayo Neth Shemok. Um, it has a nice flow to it, uh, kind of sing songy. Um, we should make that a rap. <laughs> we could do that. There may be There's an idea. There yeah. So be, if you if you want Thomas's uh, swag. You know, make make the uh, make that into a rap and and record yourself and MP3 it over to uh, Sam at Thinking Data Film. Uh, we want to put a deadline on this. Uh, I know, like a couple of weeks. Yeah, we've got we've got a uh, episode seventy coming up. We can announce it on episode seventy. This yeah. is sixty-seven. Yeah, right? let's do that. Yeah. So you got a couple of weeks. Uh, so it needs to be in before. Um, well, whenever we decide to record episode 70, which should be in a couple of weeks, so, you know, a week or two. Uh, be like give Easter weekend. Judge. Yeah. 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 I like that. So and that way take that it can be about the Easter bunny it. if you want. Yeah, that's true. The Easter bunny that apparently lays eggs because bunnies lay eggs, apparently. Well, you know, fertility and we should do a whole show on that. I know. <laughs> but apparently the rest of the world doesn't know that bunnies don't actually lay eggs. I was so confused as a kid by that because, you know, I didn't grow up in the church and I would see all my friends with these eggs and these bunnies. And, and, uh, you know, I was was the only white kid in in Mullins who didn't go to church, I think. And I just always felt like such an outsider because I didn't get the joke (laughs) because I was (laughs) like, there's, you know, even as a five year old, 10 year old, I was like, there's no way that people miss, you know, that that bunnies don't lay eggs. So why are these people who go to church giving each other eggs and having Easter egg hunts? Like why? Why is this bunny like breaking into people's houses and trying to be like the pseudo Santa Claus thing? Oh. It's very, very strange. Like okay, so Santa Claus comes in through the chimney. That's convenient. What if you don't right. have a chimney? Well, you know. Uh, so how does the how does the Easter bunny get into your house? I don't know. <laughs> like crawling with the cockroaches. I guess um, so. Yeah. I got an, I got a new pen. Well, it's coming in tomorrow. I haven't haven't received it yet. Uh, I put a link down in the show notes. But it's pretty nice. It is awesome. So my favorite, my favorite pens, and I'm holding one right now, are these uh, Pilot G2 uh, models, and it, I like the the zero five millimeter. That's exactly what pen. I have right now too. Yeah, I buy these things, you know, by the by the pound, and every time I get a Sam's Club, I'm like, oh, need one of those, um, and I go through them rather quickly. But you know, there there are a few that have stayed with me, and they fit perfectly into my little my this is ground riff. Uh, so this pen that I bought uh, from a company called called uh, Kara's Customs, K-A-R-A-S-K-U-S-T-O-M-S. I don't know why people do that, but uh, 
Keras Customs, and it's a machined aluminum cover, basically, for a Pilot G2 pen. So you take the cartridge out, and you put the cartridge in, in this machined aluminum pen, and then you have, like, this, <laughs> I think, really, like, kind of, like, badass machined aluminum pen. Yeah. Uh, now, can you... It, um... <clears throat> Now you can't just buy like the the Pilot G two refills, right? So you could just do that, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm yeah, that's the whole point, right? Right. So they have other ones that have different uh, sizes, but I, I like the, the Pilot Ink. Uh, works great in my field notes, um, and I've, I've used these things for at least ten years now. It's you know I that's a, that's a perfect option because here's my here's my one complaint with the Pilot G two that I'm using now all the time. And I used the 05, the 07 I was using was just too thick for me. Yeah, that's um, terrible. And when I slide it into the, you know, places for pins in my mod, the rubber grip, which is, you know, fine to use when you're holding it and writing. Yeah, it um, gets a little sticky. It, yeah. It's sticky and kind of pulls off the kind of um, the excess, you know, the leather, I don't know, excess stuff. Um, and so it gets yeah. little leather bits over it and things like that. Um so that would be perfect. I'm going to have to uh, put that yeah, on my that's what I, was thinking. I really like right, that. So, Let me know how you like it once you get it in and use it for a week or so. Yeah, because my I, I use black field notes now, um, and my riff is black. And then this thing is like a – you can get it in black, but I thought, you know what? It's aluminum. Let me get it in raw aluminum color. Uh, so it's like going to be this silver aluminum inside of this you know black riff. And I was – I don't know. I think it's going to look really good because evidently I'm, I'm going all black for 2016 with my – yeah, actually, this has been a year since I've worn the same thing every day. Um, you know, my black shirt and my black overshirt, and then uh, these Levi five hundred ones and my Birkenstocks. Except for a couple of days, I wore had to wear a suit. But yeah, I, I need to write a blog post about that, like what I've learned yeah. wearing the same thing for for a year. Yeah, well, did you see the thing? There was a thing I saw this past week. I forget. It was a mayor. No, of... I didn't see that thing that you saw this past week. <laughs> How do you not see everything that I see, Sam? <laughs> um, there was an Pretty article life, about a a mayor, and I have no idea. Right, I should have pulled all this up, so I'm just going to make up half of it as I go. He was probably in Canada somewhere. I think he was. <laughs> and he wore the same suit for 15 months just to see. Like, if, And, of course, nobody said anything because he's a dude. Right. Uh, and nobody cares what dudes wear. And, you know, so they were like making this big point out of, you know, kind of sexist um, demands that we have on women as, you know, how they dress and that we don't have on men and things like that. So, I mean, there's that. Yeah. But then there's the other aspect of it that it's becoming more popular, a little bit more mainstream now of um, not having to make that decision each day when you get up so that you can make, you know, you have more time and more kind of energy, brain power to make other decisions. Yeah. And one thing I, I really noticed, you know, when I teach Sunday school or when I do work at our church, you know, for various ministries, whatever, uh, people listen to what you say rather than focusing on what you're wearing. Like if they always see you in the same outfit or same right. uniform or yeah. same costume, as I call them, uh, you know, people stop fixating on, oh, my gosh, your dress is so pretty or, oh, wow, I like that bow tie. And it becomes, oh, OK, well, there's Sam, you know, <laughs> and Sam looks the same today and yesterday and the day after. Uh, and I, I, it feels psychologically for me, like it's, it's, you know, it's nice not to have to worry about what I'm going to put on in the morning, but it's also nice to not have to worry how I'm going to be perceived because I, I've established that character, you know, it's, it's the Steve jobs approach, same thing. Yeah. But I really realized that when I was teaching and when I was teaching middle school, um, cause I would show up and I had, I had a number of different bow ties, but my thing was bow ties and right. I was the crazy science teacher, right? So I was Mr. H and 
it was it was a persona and i would come home exhausted like i'd been performing for eight hours and you know how it is because you have been yeah right and and people don't get that about teachers but you know for the really good teachers i think there's an aspect of performance to it in, in that your character and your you know your your bill side bill nye science guy or whatever um so you know i, I base mine off of einstein and bill nye and and matthew lesko the crazy uh, government loans guy and and it and it worked, you know, and it was it was a total character driven thing. So then when I when I got out of teaching, I, I started doing this, and it's been it's been nice. I've I've really enjoyed it. So now I got to get all the other stuff right, like what what gear I'm toting around, and stop trying to mix that up too much. Or just be, you know, <clears throat> always be changing. Always be changing, David yeah. Bowie. That's right. Yeah. Speaking of changing, tonight there's a debate. At eight thirty on CNN, last uh, one before last yeah. Republican debate before, um, uh, whatever it's called now, Super Tuesday. There we go. We're saying SEC Tuesday, but this SEC yeah. primaries. Um, but I wish Super people Tuesday. would stop calling it that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's gonna Not get nasty, isn't it? Tonight. It's gonna be bad. Yeah, it, it won't. I mean, depending on your value judgment, I think it's gonna be bad. Uh, it's definitely gonna be nasty. I think Rubio has to tread so many fine lines and Trump's just going to go out there and be nuts. And they, you know, they're going to question him about his taxes and whatever. And I'm sure he's been preparing for that, but I think Cruz is going to be the one who, you know, just totally dumps over the, the trash can full of snakes and says, you know, here I am. And, and, uh, you know, here's some poisonous snakes. Enjoy. Um, cause you know, he's, he really has nothing to lose at this point. And right. if he doesn't, you know, get on the upswing, there's going to be calls for him to get out. And and if he does get out, I think that's going to be more and more people who, I mean, I, I can't see the majority of Cruz supporters backing Rubio. No, I don't think so either. I, I think there's this, I think there's a false sense of security um, in what a two person race brings. I think there so has it, been, there has been increased and steady and continual acceptance of Trump as the nominee. You can see his is his numbers. I would never I would not consider voting for him from Republican voters and I would consider voting for him. Um not consider voting for him was way at the way above uh would consider and those lines have steadily come closer together and crossed and now I would consider voting for him is continuing to um, pull away from, I would not consider voting for him. So Republicans as a whole are becoming more and more okay and accepting uh, Trump as the nominee. So th there's a notion of marketing of, um, you know, increasing your familiarity, right? So yep. if you're doing branding work, you know, you, you, you want to get that brand out there as much as you can. So that's why Coca-Cola and McDonald's are still the world's number one and two biggest advertisers. Everyone knows Coca-Cola. Everyone knows McDonald's. They don't really need to go out there and advertise, but they do need to go out there and advertise because they want to stay familiar and they want to stay relevant. So whether you're Band-Aid or you're, you're Xerox or you're Samsung, whatever, like as you want to have that brand out there as much as you can in front of people's eyeballs uh, because familiarity in the human brain breeds trustworthiness. And I think the Donald's um, biggest, uh, biggest, hindrance so far has been that that kind of notion of being a you know a trustworthy person politician whatever uh but he's been in the race now and he's won he's doing well he's always on tv 
Uh, pe- people are talking about him like he could be president, and that's only going to make those numbers go up and up and up. Uh, but we see things like the Washington Post this morning put out an editorial uh, with the title, GOP leaders, you must do everything in your power to stop Trump, <laughs> which, you know, sounds, I'm not going to go full Godwin's law here and, <laughs> you know, invoke 1931, but it sounds very similar to things that you might have heard back then. Um well, I mean, if I you read know. the editorial, yeah. right, they're saying we haven't seen this since maybe, you know, like his plans for deporting 11 million immigrants. They said we haven't seen this since Stalin or maybe Pol Pot. I mean, you can see the connections that they're drawing to Trump, right? We're going to have the Anschluss with Mexico now. There was um, there was a fantastic, I mean, I don't know, the article was that great necessarily, but the, the, uh, the metaphor um, used for Trump as Cyrus the Great that uh, Fred Clark wrote and uh, over on Pathios. Yeah, wasn't that great? I think that was great. So I thought we might sit down on that for a second and kind of unpack this <laughs> idea of a lot of uh, evangelicals maybe viewing Trump, even if they're not ex- you know, um, explicitly saying it like this, but viewing Trump as a Cyrus the Great figure, right? Yeah, right. So, so I mean, backing, yeah. backing up, who was Cyrus? So Cyrus the Great's king of Persia. Uh, and he is the Messiah. I mean, he is a Messiah figure in the Hebrew Bible because he's the ones that let the Israelites return from the Babylonian exile. Right. And, and he's called the Messiah. Right. I mean, he's, there's he's talked about with Messianic language. And I mean, yeah, a lot of the um, kind of Messianic language, a lot of people say, oh, this is about Jesus is clearly about Cyrus when you actually just read what the text says. Um right. But, you know, not an Israelite, not part of the chosen people, uh, probably in a lot of other ways, you would not consider him um, a great person necessarily. Um, Yeah. But, you know, I mean, becomes a rather revered figure for um, his, his, you know, role in um, letting the Israelites return from exile. And, yeah, that's, I mean, and what Fred Clark is saying, right, is there are a lot of evangelical Christians who feel as if they are in exile now somehow. Mm-hmm. And that Trump yeah, is going that's... to lead their return out of exile by getting rid of the brown people and the black people, basically. Right. I mean, <laughs> well, and, you know, restoring that religious liberty thing and, and playing into that mantra of, uh, you know, the persecuted white male who has to be so politically correct now and you can't talk about your faith and you can't talk about your race and you can't fly your flag because you might offend someone and that's not the country that I grew up in. And when I grew up, you were able to fly your Confederate flag and you're able to talk about Jesus. And, you know, they they didn't want to take under God off of our money and we could say before Christ, damn it. Uh, And the article says, uh, Cyrus is remembered and praised in many places in the Hebrew scriptures because he was the foreign king who restored the people of Israel from exile. See, for example, Isaiah 45, which is a great chapter, yeah. or the opening chapters of the book about that Trump-like rat bastard Ezra. <laughs> yeah, might be the best description ever. Of Ezra. I know. You read Ezra and you're like, ah, there's something that doesn't sit well with me. And like, I know he's supposed to be a good guy, but that's, that's a troubling book. I mean, Ezra Nehemiah is not the easiest thing to read no you realize Uh, like all the tension between the people that didn't get exiled and the people that did 
the poor the people, people of the land. Yeah. Right? The exiles right. come back like, all right, we're going to fix all this. And everybody else is like, where the hell have you been for 40 years? Like, no, we got this under control guys. Yeah. We, we're doing pretty well. I, I yeah. love that in, in dinner, in the DH and the dinner mystic history, uh, you know, especially in, in second Kings, when you get the, these mentions about the people of the land and, uh, they're, they're pretty despairing, you know, despairingly referred to as, as people of the land, as if they weren't good enough to get, you know. Taken, they weren't smart enough back. or rich enough to be exiled is basically right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they weren't the, the priestly class. Uh, so, you know, those poor bastards get left back in Judah and it seems like they do OK for themselves. I mean, you know, there's a government when Ezra gets back and decides to reread the Torah and, yeah, you know, kill the babies. But. Yeah, that's a great description. Anyway, and, and uh, Fred Clark here also links to a uh, post by uh, Libby Ann, a lady with two first names. And she is a, I read her uh, bio today because I was having a conversation about this blog post with a, a evangelical friend. Uh, she is a post-religious feminist. You know, she has a lot of qualifiers. So it's an interesting take, but she talks about growing up in an evangelical home uh, her family was, you know, very Republican and it sounds a lot like my wife, actually. Uh, and she just records basically, did you, did you see this post? This linked at the very top of that Fred Clark article. I didn't, I didn't click through. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, um, she just takes comments from people who are supportive of Trump, but they, they qualify themselves as, as evangelical Christians. And she's trying to understand how someone can do that. It's like I'm un the argument or the conversation I was having this morning with a friend on Facebook, he's a Southern Baptist pastor and, and he was, you know, and we're not going to go into all the details of the closed conversation, but he was kind of having the same angst of how could people support Trump who is, you know, doesn't qualify uh, with the typical, you know, modicum of being an evangelical Christian, but yet we're so willing to throw ourselves uh, at Trump's feet. And this metaphor of Trump being Cyrus, the great, uh, really just i think nails it i think because so too, evangelicals because yeah i'm sorry go ahead but yeah they, they feel like they're being persecuted and, and trump's going to restore whatever that was when they weren't persecuted and because they they don't they have no concern for shares my religious values which is like blowing so many people's minds and i'm like have you not been around evangelicals ever like they're no different than everybody else right that's that's what's kind of shocking to me and i mean i've written about this and whatever and because People don't, they need to read my stuff, right? But not, I mean, but more seriously, I think like political minds and pollsters, they have this idea that evangelicals are somehow like a completely separate kind, but they are, they're just like, they have politics just like everybody else and they couch it in certain language and other people couch it in different language and, and conservative evangelicals couch it in religious language and liberal progressive Christians couch theirs in religious language, right? But this idea that evangelicals like only vote on the Bible or only vote on whether they're, right. you know, a candidate is a born again Christian or something. I mean, we know it's not true. The numbers have shown forever that it's not the only thing that they vote on. And, and I think people are now realizing this, but they're still just kind of amazed that, well, how can they vote for Trump? Cause he's clearly not a, you know, really like a good, even he's not an evangelical. Right. But they don't. And that's the thing is we hear him talk and they say, oh, I think he's really trustworthy and he's honest, except maybe about his faith. I think he might be you know, lying about that a little bit, but I don't really care. Yeah. And that's that's a confusing thing, because for so long, evangelicals have been seen as being tied to this 
uh, sort of moral majority or the religious right who wants to uh, take their religious views and import that into the political realm. Uh, so we go back to like the 80s and, and uh, you know, we look at the rise of the moral majority and it's, you know, these Pat Robertson type guys, Jerry Falwell, who uh, were on fire for the Lord and they wanted to restore America as a Christian democracy or whatever, theocracy. Um, but modern day evangelicals, quote, uh, don't necessarily see that. So like some of these comments that, that uh, uh, Libyan is, is looking to include things like, uh, you know, people saying we don't want a pastor in chief. We want a president. You know, we want a, a commander yeah. in chief. Um, and, and that's that's kind of what I was saying in this other Facebook thread this morning with a friend was. For me, it was seeing that the rift that is occurring here in South Carolina between different evangelical camps. So we talked about barbecue being the the equation right. last week, but this idea of, you know, the upstate, you have kind of this reformed uh, Calvinistic sort of Al Mohler type of, of, you know, Baptist polity. That's very different than what I grew up with down in the PD, um, you know, which is very, I would say, you know, traditional kind of Southern, uh, you know, seminary type evangelicalism, which, which almost rejects the Calvinistic reform side of, of theology. Um, and there was, there's still like a, a big tension there uh, here in, uh, or here in South Carolina between those two camps, especially in the Southern Baptist world um, and maybe in, in the cooperative Baptist world as well. But I, I think that really helped me, you know, 15, 20 years ago, realize, wow, evangelicalism is not something that's monoculture. You know, it's, it's, it's polyvalent and it, it means a lot of things and it's more of a descriptor than a prescriptor. And uh, I don't, I don't think the the pollsters have caught up with that because it's much easier to say, well, the evangelical, you know, South Carolina is full of yeah. evangelical voters, so they're going to vote for Cruz. Um, you know, and we, we talked here on the show about how people in Iowa, when they talk about the evangelical voters in Iowa, are different than the evangelical voters in the Carolinas or right. the evangelical voters over in Texas. Um, so anyway, you know, it, it goes back to that old thing: a Texas Baptist is a Baptist into themselves. You know, and there's they're different <laughs> type of people. Yeah, right. Uh, so anyway, I, I think I think that's really fascinating to look at, and and to hear people like Jerry Falwell Jr. say, "Oh well, Jesus didn't tell us how to run a government, so that's why I'm okay supporting Trump because, <laughs> you know, whatever that quote was it was like such a mind blowing thing for Jerry Falwell Jr. of all people to say because he's always been, you know, well if you don't support this and if you're anti-abortion and if you're whatever, then you know you are or you're not my type of Christian, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, we're going to give him a pass because." We like him. It's uh, it's fascinating. Yep. yep. And it, not to say that evangelical voters were the firewall of the Republican Party, but when Trump first got serious about this, I really thought, okay, well, that's great. You know, he's going to have a certain subset of kind of the racist, you know, homophobic, you know, style right wing or whatever. But the evangelicals are going to prevent him from getting the nomination. But now that he's winning that side of things, I don't know. I mean, I, it's like, wow, he could he could really do this. And, yeah, well, uh, let's, you know, let's also give evangelical voters a little bit of credit in that a lot of them are tired of being played, right? Right? They're tired of being taken for granted. Yeah, I'm right? sorry, I was coughing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I think right, we're seeing we're seeing a similar type thing with a lot of uh, black voters as well. Like, don't 
take our vote for granted. You need to earn our vote. A lot of Hispanics are saying the same thing. I think a lot of evangelicals are saying the same thing. And it, you can't just say like, I love Jesus and he's my personal Lord and Savior, so you should vote for me. That That's just not enough. You know, and yeah, they, otherwise... they don't. They don't want to be taken for granted and they they want you to have policies that that um you know to some degree line up with theirs and that's i think we're seeing that i mean i you know i, I don't know i mean it's it's become it's become old sport right to kind of you know laugh at evangelical voters because blah 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 whatever and i think like i don't know i i think we're doing them ourselves and everybody else a disservice when we when we kind of paint them in this really generic um, you know, oversimplified box. Um, we're not helping our own analysis of the situation either. So do you think this, I, I got into a deep conversation a week or two ago with a friend and the conclusion we came to, uh, was this could be the end of evangelicalism as we know it, like in terms of that, that being an identification of, sort of political slash religious identity, you know, like in 2020, will the national press refer to the evangelical vote as something, you know, like now right. I, I wouldn't expect to see like CBS news talk about the black vote. Right. Um, although well, they just still do all the time. Right. You know, but, yeah. but you would hope that by this point, right. You know, something like uh, being black makes you this, or being a white person makes you this like that kind of mentality would would be extinguished by now. Um, it's back. <laughs> it went away like right before we started recording. All right, so so apparently they're doing some kind of crazy stuff uh, in the apartment below me. Um, and so that's why the young kids are calling it these days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're gonna have that background noise. Apparently, again, I was like, oh, great, they sounds stopped. Like, yeah. Sounds like they're sanding or, or this working is what it on. sounds like. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, I'm not sure what's going on there. We apologize for that. Hopefully it will not be happening next week when we record. Sounds like Dory in, in Nemo. <laughs> yeah. When she's talking in well. Yeah. Well, I wrote, you know, I wrote a piece a while back for um, Church History Blog that basically asked, are we seeing the fall of the religious right? You know, we get so accustomed to talking about the rise yeah, of religious right. right. And right. kind of the main pushback I got was, um, no, people have been asking this question for years and it's never happened. But, and this was, well, let me find a date on this. Um, whenever I wrote this, I'll find that in just a second. But um, that was a few months ago. I mean, that was well before was, Trump was. It was before the first um, uh, debate. May 2015. Yeah, right. Um, and. The more that we kind of watch this race, the more that we see this, it seems like we are, right? We're seeing not only does the traditional party not have um, the sway that we thought they did or that they used to have, uh, but now also it seems like the um, religious right evangelical leaders don't have that either. Yeah, and, and I, I think they're making calculated changes. You know, you listen to Jerry Falwell Jr. or Al Mohler and those types and and it it sounds like they see the writing on the wall of that and they're they're willing to start um not accommodating that but but being more open to the idea of this is all changing and it's not 1988 anymore um 
and and I, I wonder like what if Pat Robertson you know ran for president today like how how would he he performed like Huckabee right yeah I mean Huckabee kind of is that modern day like he's the last of that strand I guess yeah so it, it's been interesting to me to see Ted Cruz like preach in Baptist churches here in South Carolina and talk about Jesus and talk about Jesus and talk about Jesus. Um, when I, I mean, we, and we did a whole show on this once, but I think, you know, quote, evangelical voters want someone like Trump who's going to say, look, I, I, you know, I might not agree with everything, you know, that, that you have, but I tell you what, you will succeed uh, and you will have prosperity like no other president you've ever had you know whatever like they want that authenticity like everyone does rather than a sculpted message of well you know here's jesus so vote for me because jesus loves me they find that word (laughs) so do you think we're going to have a president trump at this time next year or i mean almost yeah yeah it would be be right around now it would what's when is it it's the 20th of january yeah january 20th or is that right? Yeah, January 20th. That's right, I think. Um, yeah, because it's 17 days and con- new Congress gets sworn in on January 3rd, I think. We talked about right. that with the Supreme Court stuff, that the fateful 17 days that, um, probably will not be important. But um, <clears throat> I'm still inclined to think that we're not going to, right? I know we had a poli-sci professor this week say, um, you know, he's calling the race for Trump based on his model that has predicted every race or has has correctly called every race since like 1912 um when you put the factors into it that he's putting into it except for 1960 which you know interesting race maybe um but (laughs) um i still continue to think no um but like we were saying before the show i don't know what to think anymore right nothing that we know about politics as usual is right this year Right. Yeah. My my because my general thought is, OK, a Trump nominee, um, regardless of who you have on the on the Democratic side, um, you have a Trump nominee on the Republican side. I think that energizes Democrats to come out and vote against Trump. So I think that will hurt or help Democratic turnout. And I think it depresses some Republican establishment turnout. There are some, though I think the number is being over-exaggerated, there are some moderate Republicans who may vote for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. I think this number is getting really exaggerated. Uh, I think instead what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of people, either it's going to depress the vote and they're going to stay home, or they're going to not vote on the top of the ticket and they'll vote for other people. Um, that's my general thinking about what's going to happen in November if you have a, say, Hillary versus Trump matchup. Um, but I mean, like, I don't know. But my, but I'm also thinking that I mean, there, you know, this model um, is saying that he's going to get 54 percent of the popular vote, and nobody that's ever gotten 54 percent of the popular vote didn't win the electoral college as well. But you still have to wrestle with the fact that the math of the electoral college right now uh, benefits generic Democrat over generic Republican. And I know that the candidates we have in the race right now are not generic, but the numbers are in the favor of Democrats right now with the way states have voted and and the trends that we've been seeing recently. Um, So, and maybe I'm putting too much stock in that, but you have to win the electoral college. You don't have to win the popular vote as we have seen before, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. The last time someone won the... It was Al Gore, right? 
Didn't Gore oh. win the popular vote and lose the Electoral College? Yeah. But thanks I mean, to Florida, right? Yeah. Thanks to the Supreme Court. Right. Right. Exactly. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't that I long was- ago we had somebody win the popular vote and not win the Electoral College. Now, I don't think it was 54% that he had, but. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I think- I, yeah. I just, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's kind of my, that's my um, analysis of what I think is going to happen. But I also have to add this caveat that, I mean, everything I've predicted so far has been. I predicted a Hillary Clinton nominee nomination on the Democratic side. That's still a possibility, but everything else I've predicted has uh, <laughs> not come to pass. Well, my Huckabee's daughter just joined the uh, Trump campaign. I saw that. Advisors. Hey, if you can't beat him, join him, uh, right? That's that seems to be the thing. So, uh, what do you what do you think a Trump presidency would look like if you could spitball it? And we don't have to go too deep into this, but if you could Look into your crystal ball. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's a tiny part of me that thinks Trump turns after he gets, like, if he wins the election and he's like, okay, y'all are a bunch of idiots, but I'm here now. So, like, let's not screw this up too bad. Right? I mean, at some point, like, you have to think, all right, Trump's obviously a smart guy. Whatever you think about him, whether you think he's a narcissist or a sociopath or um whatever right you know uh, the next totalitarian dictator um his views have been all over the place in the past right i don't i you know this i'm not convinced at all that he's a conservative i'm not convinced of whatever he is um conservative liberal republican democrat he's whatever he thinks is going to help him win right we've obviously looked at his right we talked about this before the show his quote in 98 about running as a Republican, right? I think you've got that in front of you. And then he said this week, uh, I love the poorly educated, right? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. He knows what he's doing. Um, so there's a small part, there, you know, admittedly very small part of me that thinks maybe he becomes president, still bombastic and stuff, but he dispenses with the wall building. He dispenses with the, we're going to deport 11 million people and round them up in the middle of the night and, you know, separate families and, and things like that. And then you right, you get to listen to some of his things. I mean, he's already defending Planned Parenthood, right? He's already um, defending other healthcare things that are Democratic current, Democratic positions. Right? He's doing these things that a lot of his, you know, he's defending Social Security and things like that. And a lot of his supporters, if they came out of the mouth of anybody else, they would be anathema. But Trump is saying it, so it's okay. Um so in this regard, it's a little bit hard to kind of box him into a policy box because, you know, he would actually have to have like well thought out policy, I guess, <laughs> for that to happen. Um, so, you know, he may come around and say, yeah, I'm still going to be myself and the entertainer, but, you know, I'm not going to do all these crazy things that I said I was going to do just to get elected. But, but then, then again, the, the maybe he he's convinced himself at this point. Yeah. I mean, can, I was trying to think about this the other day. Can you imagine being Donald Trump or anybody? I mean, anybody running for president. And, you know, I was, I just think about <clears throat> those situations where I have to confront someone who may or may not agree with me on, on a theological point or on something about a policy issue, you know, or, or a client who doesn't like, you know, the way that this website looks or, you know, whatever. And how uncomfortable that is, but then how great it is when someone says, wow, you know, like this is, this is great. You know, you you do great work. I really appreciate it. So 
to be Trump or Cruz or Clinton or Bernie or whoever, or Bill Clinton, uh, who I think really enjoys this, but to get that constant sort of dopamine release of people telling you that you're either the Messiah or you're the worst person in the world. Yeah. Um, that's gotta be just weird, you know, and it's, it really does have to change your brain chemistry. <laughs> I imagine, yeah. uh, you know, to the point of, of, yeah, I mean, you're saying, you know, maybe, maybe we should deport 11 million people because, you know, this many people believe it. Now, I, I think I could get up here and, and I could shoot one of my supporters and, and still win president. And it, we, we keep seeing these more outlandish things being said, both by Cruz and by Trump and, you know, random other people. And it's, I don't know, I, I can't imagine being in that position and what that would mean to uh, would mean to your, your brain psychology. Yeah, I mean, you know, so some people were saying early on, like, uh, or, you know, said throughout the process that Trump is kind of testing the waters, like just to see how crazy he can get. And he just can't do any. And he just, you know, I think, genuinely seemed to be shocked by some of this. Right. When he had his famous speech, you know, line a couple of weeks ago where he said, you know, they, they say I could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and I wouldn't lose any supporters. And I think right. at that point, like he's kind of opening the window a little bit to say, like, this is crazy how much these people support me. But at what point? I think that's a good question. At what point does this go to his head and, and him right, begin to believe some of the things that he's saying if he doesn't already um, and begin to think that he's invincible? Um, and yeah, that, I mean, it's that is, I think, when you get into some dangerous territory. It reminds me of uh, George W. Bush and in, in the 2004 election uh, during the, the debates with John Kerry and someone asked, it was like a town hall type thing. And, and we, you know, where they get up and they walk around and they go and sit back on the stool. I hate those. Um, and someone asked John Kerry, you know, are, are you ready for this? Do you, you know, we're, we're in the middle of this war in Iraq and 9-11 is still recent and, you know, the world is changing. Are, are you ready to, you know, to be president on day one and, and what that would entail? And, course Kerry got up and was like yes you know I'm ready to go and just like I served in Vietnam I'm you know blah 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 and then President Bush got up and it was one of the more authentic moments I think I mean he was a very authentic campaigner but he got up and he he I'll never forget he, he did this sort of great confession style uh you know quick little 30 second thing where he just said look being president is hard and you know, we can try to make this easy and we can try to say we'd be ready on day one, but no one's ready for this on day one. And this is really, really hard work. And at the time, I kind of laughed at him and I was like, yeah, I bet it is hard for someone like you. But looking back now, you know, I finally, I think I get what I, what he means by that. And just, you know, I look at someone like a senior pastor or I look at someone, you know, like a, like a teacher, you know, and, and you've got your audience and you're performing. And on the days where it goes really well, you come home and you're energized and you're like, yeah, you know, I smashed that lesson and that was great. And my kids got so much out of it. Um, I'm going to get some great emails tonight from the parents. Uh, and, and then you come home on the days when, you know, little Jimmy was in the back throwing spitballs and, uh, you know, whatever. And, and, and you, you and were you so deflated. <laughs> All right. It's like, well, <laughs> the principal's going to call me tonight because yeah. I, you know, yelled at a kid. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that, that that's such an interesting psychological point that we don't really consider in all of this. But uh, an article in Fox News just got published. It says uh, by David Merritt, 
I don't know. But the title is Why Trump and Sanders Are Paving a Path to the Presidency for Bloomberg. And uh, See, here's the thing. I mean, everybody's <laughs> talking about Bloomberg. I just, I don't think if he jumps in, he has any shot at winning. He just has a shot at hurting some other candidates, I think. Right? I mean, what am I missing here with Bloomberg? Well, so, you know, Bloomberg has a whole New York thing, which, yeah. you know, Pataki did too, right? But, um, yeah, I, I think if... I, no, I don't think he could win, but he does have that sort of New York swagger that Trump has, but he also has the smarts behind it, right? Like Trump is not that great of a business person. I mean, he's done well, but anyone can do well if they have a lot of money to start off with. You know, it's it's like the the old saying about auto racing, you know, the, the best way to make a, a small fortune in auto racing is to start off with a large fortune. <laughs> you know, the best way to to become a real estate mogul is to start off as the son of a real estate mogul, you right. know, and, and, um, you know, three bankruptcies, three divorces, lots of, you know, I bought an airline that collapsed within two years. Those, those things that, that don't really stand out. Um, Oh, and he, and he's a named defendant, right. in a suit too, over the now defunct Trump university as well. So I mean, no, that's right. I forgot about Trump university yeah. and Trump, Trump steaks. steaks. Yeah. <laughs> They're delicious. You're going to love them. And I know steaks. Um, <laughs> the reviews are, you know, did we talk about that? You can still see the reviews from like 2007, 2008 oh, on really? the home shopping. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the QVC website or something. If you, if you Google Trump steaks, you'll find it. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, yeah. So, they, they've closed, you can't see the Trump stakes box or anything, but the page is still there uh, in, in the content management system and they still have all the comments and people earnestly bought these things and they were really expensive and evidently they were terrible. Um, so anyway, there you oh, go. That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, he was uh, just putting his name. Oh no, sharper image. It was sharper image. That's sharper what it was. Image, okay, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Sharper image would sell Trump stakes. Um, all right. Last thing. Last thing. I want to, uh, as we wrap up here, I want to draw attention to um, is this uh, Jesus and Brian thing. Oh yeah, right. Because um, is this, if I'm reading this right, this is the proceedings from the conference that we talked about a while back, right? It is. It is. And I was, I was going to order this. I just haven't had time to sit down and do that today. So um, I don't even know which show we talked about this on. It's been a while uh, when we talked about this conference, but there was a conference on um, the historical Jesus and Monty Python's Life of Brian, which, in case you're wondering, is the best Monty Python movie, hands down. Okay, if you don't know it, you need to go watch it. It's about the guy named Brian who grew up next door to Jesus and is continuously throughout his entire life mistaken for the Messiah. Um, <laughs> right up to the end when Jesus tricks him and puts him on the cross. Yeah, right. So you get a little... A little um, uh, a little nod to the Gnostics. A little nod to the Gnostics. A little nod to Simon there too, right? Yeah. So it, it's great. I mean, it's it's a it's a fan. Yeah. I we need to. We've talked a long time about doing a show just on Life of Brian. But anyway, so there's a conference where I mean, legit academics got together and um, you know presented on the historical Jesus and um, kind of his times via Monty Python's Life of Brian. And this has now been uh, published in a volume. Uh, you'll probably, you'll either buy the paperback or the Kindle version. The hardcover version's over $100, but the paperback's only 30 bucks and the Kindle version's like 15 bucks. Um, yeah. So that's together and it, and it has a very Monty Python-esque cover, uh, which is appropriate. Um, but so if you're if you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, definitely check that out. I'm always, I always think that popular culture is a perfect in 
right? And maybe Life of Brian's not super like pop culture, um, but it is Monty Python, right? So um, even though we're in 2016 now, um, but it's a, it's a perfect end to kind of good, heavy hitting scholarship. And that's how I try to do it with my students all the time anyway. Uh, yeah. So. I, I like this thing from the, uh, from the editors, from the editor uh, review things. Uh, let's see. John Cleese, you know, who's in Monty Python, says, I was astonished when I heard that there was to be a conference where proper New Testament scholars would be discussing what they had learned from the life of Brian. This is a result fascinating. And then Terry Jones, who was also a member of Monty Python, said, uh, taken as a whole, these essays form a complete analytical documentation of the life of Brian, and very interesting they are too. Uh, they take various angles and look at the film, not just from, uh, not just a filmic one, what's a filmic one, but a historical point of view, and read many things I had not noticed at the time. Uh, the comparisons are always illuminating, and the commentary is always right on the nose. And, uh, you know, the, the Python guys were, of course, you know, super intelligent uh, Cambridge folks. And uh, is it, I forgot which one now is a professor. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good. There's, there's a lot of interesting stuff. So I'm just going to order this on Kindle. It's only 224 pages. So to get the hardback for $104 is like $5 a page, $4 a page. That's a little, little steep. No, it's like 50 <laughs> cents a page. Oh, I'm right. doing the math wrong. Yes, you're right. Sorry, geez. Uh, maybe the paperback. I might do the paperback. Yeah, 30 bucks um, for the paperback is not bad at all, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I saw that because I was doing some investigating on, a, on another another thing I watched last week. So on Sunday, I guess, Sunday night or, or Saturday night, uh, I watched Last Temptation of Christ again. Yeah. It's Scorsese's film based on uh, you know, the, the novel. And... I haven't seen it in maybe five years, six years or so. And I've learned a lot about New Testament studies in the last five years. So there are parts where I just wanted to pull my hair out because it's like, no, that's <laughs> like, what are you thinking? Uh, of course, it's not a, you know, it, and it says at the beginning, this is not, um, you know, taken strictly from the Gospels. This is a reflection on the struggle between being mortal and being immortal. Right. So, um. It's interesting though, like like knowing what I know, you know, the, the little bit that I know now about New Testament scholarship, and seeing how some things were portrayed, you know, like uh, uh, sort of the, the the melding of the four gospels into, you know, kind of this harmony harmony type story yeah. was uh, was interesting, and the, you know, the depictions of Magdalene and that kind of thing. Great conversation. I have a, a former uh, youth of mine who's a student at Chapel Hill now, and he's in. Uh, Bart Ehrman's New Testament class. Oh, wow. So we we chat once a week about his New Testament class, and he you know he emails me questions, and I go through them, and then we talk. So you know this week one of the things we talked about was basically like how do people not realize the differences in the Gospels? <laughs> well, they're just not reading them with that question in mind, right? Um, you know, we talked about yeah. uh, uh, some other stuff too. Um, well, people don't read their Bibles as you know, you don't sit down and read all of Luke, right? right. Like you might read the Christmas story is, or you but, might read. And this is why I, this is why I tell my, it's what I make my, well, I, I assign for my students to do. I don't know if they actually do. I don't know if some of them do, um, but to sit down and read it kind of in one sitting, because that's, that was how it was designed, right? You either heard it in one right. hearing or, or read it in one sitting. There weren't chapter and verse breakdowns and things like that. It was a, designed as a, a narrative that flowed. 
um, together. And when you do it like that, things jump out to you where you'd never see other size or otherwise, right? So in markets, you're like, dude, he's immediately doing everything, right? And immediately and immediately and immediately. Um, and it puts a kind of a fast pacedness to the gospel of Mark that you don't catch if you read a little, you know, a couple of verses here, chapter there, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah the, dates in a hurry. Yeah. The, the harmony, the harmony aspect is a really interesting question. I mean, we see it every single Christmas, right? Um, right. every single Easter, the stories are just harmonized and they're wise men and shepherds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and everyone's just immune to it now. So, um, which is just fascinating to me, you know, especially when we we decry the the lack of you know biblical literacy and that sort of thing and it's like have you actually read your bible because just all you're doing is quoting from john and that's great but you know mark had something to say about this too yeah. um yeah I, I i thought it was interesting i, I my favorite scene and in, in one of my favorite scenes of all time and i often I often use this as a illustration um at church and other places you know when when jesus is having his vision or his reality would, you know, doesn't really say in the movie, but he's, you know, had his kids with Mary Magdalene and they're off in the market someplace and they run into this guy preaching and it turns out to be, you know, Paul. Uh, and, and they have that encounter where Jesus says, how do you know this? And Paul says, well, you know, I was blinded and I, I saw a vision. And Jesus says, well, have you ever seen Jesus? And Paul says, no, but I, you know, I had this vision. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I'm the one you're preaching about. And that's not how it happened. And Paul says, oh, well, you know, it's nice to meet you. And he's very complimentary. And he basically says, like, uh, it doesn't matter who you are. Right. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, these people need the risen Jesus. And I don't care that you got done off the cross, but I'm going to preach about the risen Jesus because, you know, these people are, uh, you know, looking for something to believe in. And it's going really well. Uh, so thanks for coming by. I'm, I'm really glad I finally got to meet you. Uh, but, you know, rock on. And um, I'm going to go preach some more now. And Jesus just gets really flummoxed by that. And Paul's, you know, I mean, it, it's like meeting someone who wrote your favorite book and they turn out to be a jerk, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It, it was it's such a, a strange kind of upsetting confrontation because, you yeah, you, you I don't know about you, but I always wonder, gosh, you know, what what if. Jesus could survive in some kind of human corporal form and come back and listen to what Paul and, and James or, you know, whoever uh, were preaching about him in the first century. What, you know, how would he have reacted? And you get a little bit of a glimpse of that in, in you know, some satisfying way, but I just love that scene. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, and, and the, the, the depiction of Satan in the movie is really interesting too, because it's, it's a snake in one part, which is kind of cheesy, but then, it's the little girl who's the angel of God, who's actually, you know, Satan, who gets him off the cross and says, no, you know, God says you not to do that. Don't worry. Let's go have kids. Um, I don't know. Challenging movie. I mean, it's good. Yeah. The music definitely doesn't hold up. Peter Gabriel did the music. Yeah. Uh, David Bowie is Pontius Pilate. Yes. Which I didn't realize. And I've been on a huge David Bowie kick. So I'm watching the movie and all of a sudden I hear that voice. And then, you know, rounds the corner as Pontius Pilate. And I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> forgot he was Pontius. And, uh, yeah, funny, interesting movie. But and, and they did really well with it, with the casting of most people. You know, like it's got not everyone's white, blonde haired, except for Jesus. You right, know, who's what's his name? Um, I forgot the guy's name. But yeah, he's, you know, blonde, red haired, blue eyed. And, and, and it's so 
distracting <laughs> for most of the movie because you're like, come on, you know, this, this could have been could have nailed it. But I don't know. It's no finding Jesus, Jesus, but it's, it's a good watch. <laughs> and it's no Jesus Christ Superstar either. You know, I don't think I've actually ever seen that. Oh, yeah. That's the music holds up there. I mean, it's a rock opera about Jesus. And there, Jesus there's Christ, you know, definitely um, questions about Jesus's sexuality. I mean, it's 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 great. It, I think it holds up. Um, oh, there's a great meme that goes around too, right? And it's Jesus, like the painting of Jesus, the little kids. Or no, it's like disciples around him and stuff. It's like, so there I was. The only white guy in Jerusalem. <laughs> so on that note, um, if you want some swag from Thinking Religion, then uh, get your entries in in the next couple of weeks. Send them to Sam at Thinking.fm. Um, you can follow Sam on Twitter at Sam Harrelson. You can follow me at Thomas Whitley. And you can always find more great podcasts at Thinking.fm. Yeah.